0: Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program the B2B Incubator. It's built for small in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategy that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook podcast. Each week we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals.
1: We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to.
0: The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing.
1: We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five B's, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for.
0: We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and
1: tactics that work, then this podcast is for you.
0: Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook
1: first. Remember, Successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.
0: Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Kevin, sorry for the delay. Um, we were meant to start about 15 minutes ago, but um, I had a tap on the window from my yeah, my grandmother, signaling to me that it's time to make her a coffee. And I'll tell you what, Kev, I always thought to myself, I'm not that Greek. But there's certain things that happen in your life where you go, you know what, maybe I am pretty bloody Greek. I mean, for one, <laughs> I record our podcast out of my old bedroom and at my parents' house. My yaya comes over pretty much every day uh, for a cup of coffee. As I went down to make a coffee, Kevin, because you know I told you that we couldn't start recording because I have to make her a coffee. She came over with a freshly baked spanakopita, which, for people who don't know, is a Greek spinach pie. And it was made by a good friend of hers who used the ingredients from her garden. And she insisted that I have a piece while I was down there. So, uh, yeah, Kevin, I'm probably pretty damn Greek as far as a Greek-Australian goes.
1: Whatever Yaya says, we do, George. Whatever Yaya says,
0: we do. And speaking of ethnics, Kevin, <laughs> the other... The other way I knew that um, I am quite ethnic is, of course, my girlfriend. She's half Greek, half Italian. And I went to her parents' place for dinner the other week. And as I said goodbye to her dad, her dad gave me a hug, which is lovely. And then he gave me a kiss on the cheek. How would you respond to that, Kevin?
1: Yeah, we don't really hug or kiss on the cheek at all. So probably would be quite surprised, but I guess given the context and the cultural background, I probably would be less surprised. Nevertheless, I'll probably still involuntarily flinch.
0: (laughs) Yes, I imagine you would flinch. And I don't know how you feel about me immediately thinking in that moment, I wonder how Kevin would react to this. I'd be chuffed if I
1: were you. It's nice (laughs) that
0: you're top of mind. I am
1: chuffed, George, I am chuffed. That's very kind of you to think of me.
0: (laughs) Of course, I'm completely comfortable with it because, you know, that's how we express our affection and it's no trouble. Um, I'm not sure about the Chen household though More, more respectful of uh, personal space and, and privacy But
1: uh, we stand back while nodding approvingly As others engage in such behaviour
0: <laughs> What a uh, typically politically correct response Thank you Kevin for always <laughs> towing that line Or well, for never towing that line really <laughs> You stand well <laughs> away from the line And you watch me fall <laughs> either side of it Clapping on encouragingly, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Clapping on while your monkey dances for you. Kev, I want to talk about something that's really topical and it's um, actually very core to creating demand and highly relevant for where we are in the context of the B2B playbook. Listeners, as you know, we are at the end of Season 3. And Kev, I know we've been saying that for quite a few episodes. We're really dragging this thing out. But we are towards the end of Season 3 of our 5Bs framework. And we're at that point where we're talking about, well, we've given you the foundations really for creating demand, having a a demand creation strategy. Now, as you know, listeners, we talk about the fact that a sustainable B2B marketing strategy is comprised of both capturing demand, meaning those three to 5% of people who are ready to buy your product right now or just in market for a product or service like yours, and then the rest of the market. And for the rest of the market, we need to start creating demand because we need to build relationships with them far early on in their journey to lead them to the logical conclusion when they're ready to buy that our product or service is the right one for them. If we don't start doing that early enough in our marketing journey, we're going to get caught with our pants down when inevitably we start running out of that 3 to 5% who are ready to buy right now. And Kev, as part of creating and capturing demand, there is this debate that goes on in LinkedIn about should you hide your content behind an email gate? And I think it's really important that we talk about this topic today. Yeah, George. And I think the reason why we keep extending the end of
1: season three uh, as we have been doing is because so many of these hot topics, so many of these really relevant and poignant points that are up for discussion right now have been coming up have just been coming up recently recently. One, because we're getting deeper and deeper into that space on LinkedIn and being involved in more of those conversations naturally. But also, you know, as you speak to more B2B marketers as part of the research report that we're putting together as part of your general outreach uh, on LinkedIn to talk to our own dream customers and those that we're trying to help these sort of topics come up and we really want to address them in a timely manner so that our listeners, our potential listeners will get value from our insights into what is very topical things and very relevant things to what they're really dealing with day to day right now in their work.
0: Yeah, it's really part of the tactical part of implementing our strategy, isn't it, Kevin, which I think is important to discuss. Always crucial for us to keep it within the context of the 5Bs framework because otherwise we just go into tactics like everyone else. So that's why I think it's Mm. important that we deal with it within the context of the framework. But it is a real barrier, this whole idea of should we be hiding our content behind an email gate? And just to clarify, listeners, what we're referring to is many businesses often uh, create things like white papers, quizzes, whatever it might be, and they hide that great information behind an email gate. They want your name, email address, company size, passport details, all that kind of stuff, just to get access to a report. And then what would very often happen from there, Kev, is marketing would go, hey, we're generating leads. This is great. Gets passed on to the sales team. And that's where the mess kind of begins, Kevin.
1: Yep, perfect context and exactly what I've been experiencing personally in-house and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are and definitely we've spoken to different people who have had that same experience. When you put something behind an email gate, everyone who signs up and then downloads or gets that content might not necessarily be your right audience or people that are in that 3 to 5% that's ready to convert and therefore ready to talk to your sales team. So if you start getting these leads through from getting your content online, the leads that you get from these sort of tactics, they generally end up in that pile where they're in that 95 or greater percentage of people who are not ready to transact. And they're just looking to get more information or they happen to want to get a little bit more information about the particular topic your content was talking about. And as George said, that's where the problem starts. And the reason why is because they're not ready. Um, So they were just interested in the content for the content's sake to learn something from the content. Maybe they weren't ready or they're not even the right fit for your particular product or service that you're offering. But if you just pass on those leads that have come through directly to sales without any further filtering from there, then that's where your sales team is gonna run into having to sift through a lot of leads, which are not relevant, wasting a lot of their time and getting frustrated with the quality of the leads, but at the same time, you know, wasting precious time that they could otherwise be spending, even doing outbound marketing and lead gen, uh, talking to the existing leads and building better relationships with those who are already within your sphere of influence and ready to buy from you. And that's something we definitely wanna avoid.
0: So Kev, I think it's important to talk about why companies are even doing this in the first place. And from speaking to a lot of marketers working with and working in businesses, we realize that a lot of marketing teams um, actually have KPIs that are related to lead numbers that they generate. And if that's what they're accountable for, then of course, that's what they're going to go after and to generate. And then what's the easiest way to get leads? Well, this whole white paper gating your content thing is a pretty easy way to do it. Um, advertising is still relatively cheap. Even if just a tiny percentage of people that you serve with your ads sign up to this white paper and give you their email details, very often you can show that you've gotten leads for, I guess, maybe a reasonably low cost per lead. But I think one of the key issues is no one's looking at what happens on the other side of that. What happens with that lead? How many leads do you know actually become good opportunities? And how many of those opportunities actually turn into one deals? How many sales staff do we need just to call all these leads that we're passing on to them? George, we've also been speaking to a few different people as part of
1: interviews that are coming up, listeners. And one of the key things that we're discovering is in the history of uh, digital marketing as we know it, as it's developed in the B2B space, part of the reason why companies are doing this is also because of the prevalence in performance marketing in the recent decade up until now and so being able to measure and attribute where your leads are coming from where your business is coming from was a big attraction for doing a lot of this activity online and as part of that the focus of marketing became more and more into this performance marketing section of marketing and away from other things like building relationships that traditionally is what the marketing team is tasked with so things like you know tracking what source the leads came from and then doubling down on those great lead sources or as they appear to be on paper in your google analytics in your analytics platforms whatever it might be that is naturally a self-propagating thing where you get more and more leads through these platforms because you're investing more into them but actually they're just the demand capturing channels. And so you're tagging all these leads that are coming through with a digital channel. And that's sort of a fallacy that comes along with the attribution and this focus on attribution.
0: And Kev, I mean, we've both been guilty of this, right? I don't want to stand up in our soapbox and pretend that you know we haven't been through this ourselves. We've been through it. We've seen in many circumstances where just being in demand capture doesn't work. You know, you're going to run past the point where it's no longer giving you the returns that you need and we're just trying to prepare you marketers for that so you don't have to go through and experience the same pain that that we have or you might be experiencing that pain now and looking for a way out and look, ungating your content is absolutely not just a, a way to, to fix that, it's part of of, I guess, a more holistic strategy in terms of creating demand. But this is just one little lever that you can start to pull to start to change the minds of the marketing team, of the people that you report to as to what marketing should do and what it's actually responsible for. Yeah, it's
1: definitely not something that, you know, people go into with malice to intentionally do. You know, it's quite natural to say, okay, if we have this data coming in, And it's telling us that these channels are bringing in all the leads. The logical thing is to invest more into those channels and is to move more and more deeper into investing into those channels. But unfortunately, it just so happens that in this case, it's really driving the demand capture side and not driving the demand generation side. And that's something we have to be aware of when we look at these things and what companies are doing, why they're so focused on, you know, email gating something that, potentially was just free content previously.
0: All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, And it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement. And it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. That's it, Kevin. We're not here to say that you should never gate content at all. Uh, In fact, we'll give you at the end of this episode, a bit of a method you can go through yourself and evaluate each piece of gated content yourself and decide, should this be gated or not? So stick around to the end to find that out. Kev, going into some of the shortcomings of gating content, I think it's probably important to cover some of those. I mean, really the first one is You know, most people aren't actually going to sign up and give their email in exchange for that gated content. We know that good cold ads get a click-through rate of about 0.4%. Of those, the number that are actually going to fill out their details in exchange for that gated white paper is even smaller. So the number of people that we are not delivering that helpful information to by putting it behind an email gate is enormous. So that's a huge missed opportunity to educate the market and build that relationship with our dream customers earlier on in that buying process. And taking it a
1: step further, you should probably be taking some of that content that lives on your landing page once you ungate it and bring it to the feeds that people are consuming the information on initially so this is something that we've spoken to before and something to keep in mind as well not only should you ungate your content or certain parts of your content you definitely should be looking to surface that even earlier in the journey of building relationships and contact points with your potential customers and as george said um, it's all about building relationships and at what stage of awareness is your audience coming into contact with that particular piece of content
0: And Kev, if we are capturing those leads with our gated content and we're shoveling them onto sales, that's going to be the foundation of a not so great relationship with sales. Because chances are those leads, as you touched on earlier, Kev, are actually not ready to convert. So we're giving sales just a bunch of people to contact that aren't going to convert into clients you know anytime soon a whole lot might not even be within your ideal customer profile fit at all so it really leads to that broken relationship with them
1: which is a real shame because they should really be one of the great tools in your arsenal and one of the great relationships you have internally to rely on uh, as a source of information because they have that day-to-day contact with potential customers and existing customers
0: that's it, Kev. We want to treat that relationship with, with respect. Absolutely. And just to add to that, if you say, no, well, George, I mean, we are using gated content, but we're actually not passing that information onto sales. We then uh, use that as a way of capturing their email address. And then we see what else they do on our website. And we see if they attend webinars and we calculate you know, a score. And once they reach a certain score, they become a qualified lead. Well, then I would say, Well, then if that's the case, why aren't you just letting people browse this information without handing over their email address? The purpose is to educate, not to capture them at that point. You have no intention of reaching out to them at that point. So that's something to keep in mind.
1: George, I think another part of uh, the shortcomings of getting content is it's likely to be very inefficient. We've spoken about the volume of leads you're then passing on to sales, which are probably low quality, uh, and that's the foundation of breaking that relationship with sales. But it's just an inefficient way in general to spend your marketing dollar, because as you said, the number of people that sign up isn't great. You're probably paying a lot to get that sort of content through lead gen ads in front of people in the first place. And then the return eventually of that investment is not great either because of the low conversion rate through a sales process, no matter how good your sales team is. It's just not good. And the data that you get out of that is not good for you for further use as well. So that audience might not be that relevant to you if you want to do more remarketing, if you want to do um, analysis of how that audience behaves or reach out and talk to some of those people who have become leads. It's just not an efficient group of people for you to then reach out to and gain insights on because they're probably pretty far away from a tight fit with your dream customer.
0: Which really takes us to our next point, Kevin, is that when all those leads don't convert and um, the company misses its revenue targets, even if you met your lead targets, unfortunately marketing very often cops the blame here and people start pointing the finger at marketing and that's when they start to look at an analysis of the type of leads that are coming in. So I would say try and get ahead of this market. Try and get ahead while you can. Yeah, definitely.
1: And then you can do active things to make your life and everyone else's life a bit easier and ensure that the business can continue to grow. Well, George, that's some of the shortcomings of gating content. But we can probably also talk about some of the long term negative impacts of working in this way and thinking in this way when you're gating content. It sort of frames your thinking as a marketer in relation to your business and interactions with your potential customers as very short term and not long term enough in our upcoming interview with ran Fishkin, he mentions this and talks about these sort of interactions being too transactional and i think that's a really good description of this problem marketers tend to fall into this trap of thinking about these interactions about these you know leads as a transactional affair and it's a one-off where someone inputs their email and they become a lead and the journey goes on from there and it kind of falls out of the realm of marketing. And really that is too short term in in the way that you're framing things when you're thinking about that, when you start to gate content and think about just leads. As we spoke about before, it's important that marketers think about it as building relationships at scale. And so that means any one of these touch points should really be another interaction, another step in that relationship building journey.
0: And Kev, on that, as you said, B2B marketing is all about building relationships. If we reduce it just down to leads and numbers, then we lose that essence. And it was such a great point of Rance to talk about, you know, we need to do more longer term things as marketers. We need to start building relationships, realizing that there's people on the other end of this and stop just treating them like their leads. I mean, you know what a great way to betray someone's trust is when you're trying to build it, is (laughs) if after they submit their email for that piece of content that you gated, one, that piece of content is just super average, which is 95% of white papers out there, is they're just not very good, Kevin, because they've been outsourced to someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about. And uh, two is as soon as that happens, you just get a barrage of emails and calls from either an automated email sequence or the sales team trying to get you to purchase, trying to talk to you on the phone. And Kevin, it can feel like such a just an, an invasion of privacy of your time, a total lack of respect. And for me, when people try and conduct business like that, you know, there's enough competition in every industry that I'll go, you know what? Perhaps we're not the right fit. You're not for me. I think I'll look at your competitors.
1: Yeah, and it's likely, you know, one of those competitors will benefit from the demand you're actually starting to generate, but you're just not approaching that right in terms of building and nurturing that relationship. And someone who isn't even doing any of this could eventually benefit from this and it might be a direct competitor. So you have to be really careful about thinking more long-term listeners.
0: Kevin, other issue worth touching on now, and I think we need to do a full episode on later, is marketers not educating stakeholders on what marketing's function is. I think that's really closely related to what we've been talking about uh, when it comes to marketing's role of generating leads. We know that that's not really marketing's role. Um for some reason, you know people don't think that marketing should be responsible for revenue in a business, but, The more and more, Kev, you and I get into B2B marketing, the more we realize it is so intertwined and ingrained with core functions of a business. And of course, it should be a key contributor to revenue.
1: Yes, George, that is a good point. And listeners, sometimes as marketers, we do have to do a little bit of managing up and distributing some of that marketing knowledge that we have and that we hold within our area of expertise because the rest of business, as George said, is very much intertwined. Everyone's going after the same goals and we need to share a little bit about how marketing can help in that process and how it should work with sales, with product,
0: with the rest of the operations team and with leadership as well. Educating stakeholders is not easy, Kevin. And so when we come to do that episode, we already have some uh, great ideas from experiences on how our listeners can do it, but I'm actually gonna rely quite heavily on you, Kev. Kev is a terrific listener And I think that's a really key part of getting someone, uh, especially an executive, to understand your point of view is figure out first what really matters to them and then tying your solution in a way that makes sense to them. So, Kev, I look forward to you leading that one.
1: That's your kind, George. Um, But listeners, yes, we'll definitely talk about uh, what we think can really help with that journey. And um, hopefully, you're lucky enough to have a very receptive uh, stakeholder or set of stakeholders that you talk to and you can quickly get through that point. George, I'll touch on one more shortcoming before we move on when we deal with um, gated content and what it does for a marketer and the business that the marketer works in. Often, there's that need to generate and capture demand at the same time. And once you've been generating demand for long enough, you'll probably have a steady stream of people ready to buy your product. But if you're not doing that demand generation and you're doing all this demand capture just with lead generation, then you're really gonna struggle to have that demand to close in the first place. And it does take time to build up that demand and start generating that demand. As we spoke about in the previous episode, maybe it'll take at least one to two sales cycles to get there to that point where you can start to see that demand start to flow through after your demand generation activities start to take place so the earlier you start the better and if you're focusing all your energy on doing demand captures things and not doing that demand generation part as you would be if you're very focused on you know gated content leads and things like that that's really going to delay when you can start to see that demand generation work pay off
0: well, that's right, I mean, quite simply, Kevin, if we're gating all of our best content, then that content is not available to the wider market to educate them to start that demand creation process. It's, it's pretty simple. And Kev, that brings us to our next point, which, I mean, really we've discussed, I guess, along the way, and that's why ungating content actually helps shift away from that lead capture mentality. As we said, once you ungate your best content, It's that opportunity to educate the market. And when we talk about educating the market, Kev, I always find it very difficult to not refer to the five stages of awareness. And I think I've mentioned it almost every episode for the last 10 episodes, Kevin. But listeners, if you've just tuned in, the five stages of awareness is that journey that the buyer goes on from being totally unaware that they even have a problem that your product or service solves, and leading them through five stages to the logical conclusion that your product or service is the obvious fit for them. And it's such an important thing to do because it gets you out of that demand capture only channel which as we've discussed Kevin previously, really doesn't scale. That's right listeners, there's a whole episode
1: on the five stages of awareness early on in the show. So make sure to check that out if you haven't already. But as George said, there's a lot of benefits to ungetting getting your content and the key one amongst them is you start to take hold of that opportunity to educate the market and to talk to that rest of the 95% who are not ready to convert yet, but are open to understanding what the problem is to become aware of your brand. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know your brand and don't even know the problem. And then moving through the five stages of awareness to buying from you essentially.
0: All right, Kev, it's pretty easy for us to sit on this podcast and just tell everyone to ungate their content, but it's much easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. And we realize this from working with businesses. We realize this from working in businesses. We realize this from our dream customers and dream listeners telling us this. As soon as you switch from gating to ungating your content, there's going to be an immediate impact on the wider business, right? There's going to be that loss of leads. That's actually not great news, Kev, if that business has a much larger sales team that is actually servicing those leads and following up on them. So a change in that kind of strategy can lead to a loss of jobs in the sales team. Like there's real lives, there's real people at stake here.
1: Yeah, beyond that, you know, a bit closer to the home listeners, you might be thinking, okay, if my lead numbers start going down as I'm shifting in my process, does that mean I'm not then hitting my KPIs and will my position be questioned as well? So definitely a lot at stake and generally if that stakeholder, those leadership positions who are looking at these uh, drops in leads don't really understand the strategy behind that, it's understandable that you know, there's going to be a bit of a disconnect and you should be worried that you know, the, the strategy being implemented isn't being understood.
0: Yeah, that's why, Kev, like with anything, you have to get buy-in first and you have to do this gradually. I don't think it can be done all at once, um, not without major disruption to the business. And Kev, I think a great starting point is to actually look at the cost effectiveness of the leads that are being generated. So if those leads that we're generating as marketers through gated content are actually turning into opportunities and wins at the rate that the business can afford, great. Great. I mean, fantastic. Like, no need to change things. You know, keep doing it. If it ain't broke, Kev, you know, don't fix it. May as well keep it going. But the key thing to look there is not just look at the cost of acquiring that lead or that cost of that person becoming a customer from a marketing point of view. We need to look at how many sales staff it actually took to convert them. We need to look at what their conversion rates are like and if that is sustainable. And listeners, as George said, if it is, go ahead and keep doing it. You know, we can
1: add on demand generation activities alongside what you're doing. But if it's not broken, don't fix it. The only trouble will be, what if your competitors start on getting and educating the market earlier? So even if it's working, even if it's sustainable, that doesn't mean that you don't take that action to start working in that demand generation space as well.
0: All right, Kev, actually getting this data and doing this analysis on looking at how many of our leads are turning into good opportunities and how many of those are turning into closed deals and is this efficient? How can we actually go about doing that? Well, I think it probably depends on the stage of growth you're at as a company. If you're earlier stage, you might not have that all, all that information within a CRM, will you?
1: no you probably wouldn't George Uh, as you said later stage maybe you have a CRM maybe you have that lead information the revenue and and the amount of work that the sales team had to do within a CRM to tell you and to be the basis of that analysis you maybe then need to reach out to your finance team to figure out the revenue numbers so that you can really do those calculations of how many leads what's the conversion rate to sales and then Revenue over the actual cost and operating costs of closing those sales both from what obviously you would have the advertising costs um, From the different platforms that you're using to push out your content and your gated content But then you might need to ask finance for rough guides around how much operationally is being spent um, with the sales and marketing teams to close those leads in a smaller setting uh, as you said As in in a smaller setting, often that CRM is missing, often that data uh, collected in a CRM is missing, and you might have to work closely with sales to get some of that data. But again, whoever's looking after finance within the business will probably help a lot in terms of getting the revenue numbers and the cost numbers, and then you'll have the lead numbers and the advertising cost numbers again.
0: Yeah, so it's probably a lot more going and speaking to the different stakeholders, right? If it's smaller and getting, a, I guess, more of a vibe, you'll get that feedback from sales, you'll get that indication from finance if there is a finance team or, you know, just go and speak to the person who's in charge of finance at that stage and start to get a feel. And even things like the close rate of, you know, leads
1: that come through sales and, how many of those really close and become paying clients off the back of that sales activity might not be recorded anywhere. and might be a process of implementing some of the data collection processes within the business in order to get the data in the first place. Maybe you need to set up a place where you agree, marketing and sales agree to record the lead numbers, the sales numbers, whether that's in a spreadsheet if the business is small and the lead numbers aren't too crazy. Whether that's recording that in a spreadsheet and working off the same spreadsheet or connecting existing spreadsheets so that you can really work out what that lead to closure rate really is
0: and kev i totally get it's a scary thing for our listeners to do it's a scary thing for marketers to do because we could basically be pointing out to our higher-ups that hey the work that we've been doing isn't actually working for the business And then all of a sudden that puts a bit more pressure on you to do it. But just remember, marketers, it's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen at the point where, you know, once all the sales cycles have passed, you spent all the money, they're not closing because those leads that you were handing over weren't great. Like it's going to be worse later on. So get ahead of it now while you can.
1: That's it listeners. The earlier you start, the easier it is and the more time you have to turn things around and to shift things and to adapt things to things that work. And the easier it will be to actually manhandle the data and to get things together because one, you have more time and two, you have more of a buffer uh, to work with the other teams to build some of the systems you need.
0: Kev, when we spoke with Miles Madden and I don't think the interview will actually be released at this point, he actually made an awesome suggestion on that transition from gating to ungating when you've moved in-house into a business. And he's moved in-house to a business that uh, really does gate a lot of their content. They're a very well-established marketing engine. He's just started to get buy-in from the higher-ups on the fact that they need to do demand creation. But that shift from gated to ungated needs to be gradual for all the reasons that we mentioned before. And so he recommended that what you should do is look in your CRM and look at each piece of gated content and do that exact analysis that we spoke about before. Look at how each lead from that piece of gated content is going all the way through to opportunities and whether or not it's one. For those pieces of gated content that are inefficient and aren't good, well, then that's a great case to say, hey, you know what? Let's open this one up and go through and just do it one at a time that way.
1: Yeah, in practical terms, that means listeners look at your gated pieces of content, look at the leads that come from particular pieces and say, how many leads actually closed? And if there's some that haven't closed any or next to none and the cost of actually servicing those leads and following them up are really high, that's a no-brainer case to make. To the higher ups, to the sales team as well, um, to say, hey, why don't we all stop wasting time on the leads that come through this? Let's just ungate it. And marketing can use that as a platform to start nurturing relationships and building relationships with that helpful piece of content.
0: And Kev, this, of course, opens up the can of worms on, well, what metrics should we measure then if we're not measuring leads? I think we covered that in, I think it might have been episode 28. We also spoke about it with Miles Madden, an interview that's coming, coming shortly about some of the leading and lagging indicators that you can look at to see if your demand creation strategy is working. Well, that's a great
1: starting point, George, to that process of getting content. Listeners, there's other tools that you can really use to identify intent instead of looking for emails. There's things like Clearbit, LinkedIn, other platforms too. All of these might be a little bit more expensive to start. Try and use the free versions where you can to get an indicator, but don't worry too much. As you start to do that ungetting process, as you start to follow the B2B framework um, and all the other things that you can do, Naturally, these things will fall in line into that process.
0: Great, Kev. So, I think really to summarize, then, in answer to the question, well, should your content be gated? I would say it depends. You know, if it's working, uh, go ahead, keep doing it. But you also need to keep an eye on what others are doing in your industry. As we said, if they're starting to ungate their content, they have that opportunity to build that relationship with that dream customer earlier than you will as a business, and you might get left behind.
1: And In our experience, George, most of the time, it probably isn't working as well as you think it is. And there's always opportunity to ungate some of your content and start that demand generation piece at any point in your journey. And eventually, I think both George and I think listeners that this practice of gating content will become pretty outdated. Um, It really needs to be happening at a lot later stage and in much less frequency than it currently is.
0: That's it Kev, it's a natural consequence of the market. If those that are ungating start doing better as a business, then other marketing teams are gonna have to start doing it too. So I imagine it will eventually be outdated. All right, George, key takeaways for
1: this episode. Should you hide your content behind an email gate? We think there's always opportunity to ungate at least some of your content and you should move in that direction where you can because there's a lot of upside to ungating your content. But there's a lot of downside to gating your content, particularly long term. But listeners, it's important to make sure that you have buy in from the business, particularly stakeholders and senior leadership, before you start ungating content. And a great way to do that is start by looking at the currently gated content and figuring out which ones aren't driving leads that become wins. They're a great candidate for starting to ungate content. Because it's probably likely that that ungating will help both sales,
0: yourself and marketing, as well as the
1: business as a whole.
0: Great takeaways. Thank you, Kev. Listeners, as always, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And we are so grateful that each week more and more marketers tune in every Monday morning to the B2B Playbook. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please tell someone about the playbook um, who you think could use it. Or give us a review. I know that's two. I'd prefer the first one. Please tell someone who you think might find it useful. That's a huge help to us. Hopefully a great help to someone else. And we'd really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kev. Take care and see you next week. Thanks, George. Thank you, listeners. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our
1: newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook.
0: We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B
1: Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.